Psalm 33 is one of the songs that the nation of Israel will sing. It's just an exhortation to worship. Something special happens to an individual. In fact, worship of God is probably the highest achievement and level of living that we can achieve while in on this earth in its fallen condition. There's no greater act, no greater joy, no greater fulfillment than to worship the Lord. And so the writer here assumed to be David. <laughs> Who else, right? <laughs> he just an incredible gift, gifted man. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. And literally sing for joy. Now, it isn't limited to Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. You do know that. And if you are like me, you're not a gifted musician. We've got plenty of them in our church. I'm glad of that. But if you're not gifted that way, then get you a worship album. <laughs> Download it on your phone. It used to be an iPod. Now it's just your phone. And And just go for it. Just spend an ample amount of time lifting your voice. If you're driving in the car by yourself, it's a great time to do that. Who cares if somebody's reading your lips next at the stoplight? <laughs> right? That's how I overcome bad drivers. <laughs> My mind is on that. It's on him. But sing for joy. It literally is crying out loud. You know, well, you can pray silently, but this is not something you do silently. You sing loud. I'm telling you, the devil is allergic to praise. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> and if you're getting hassled, now I'm not saying that should be the motivation to worship the Lord, <laughs> but I'm saying that will be the result of worship. You'll draw near, and God will draw near to you. And it's a special, special time. Crying aloud. And it's this inward happiness, this joy that God has put in your heart that you have a relationship with Him. It's Father's it's son, father, and daughter. It's a beautiful thing to do. And it says, you righteous. The ones that have been blood-bought, we've been purchased. We're not our own anymore. Somehow we get this idea that, well, we can do whatever we want. We have, you know, we're free moral agents. Well, you can, but really not anymore. We're, we've been purchased out of the slave market. We belong to him. So, there's no greater calling than to rejoice. Praise, in verse, the rest of the verse there, praises from the upright is beautiful. This is something that, as we do it, it glorifies God, and God looks at it upon it as something very precious, very beautiful. You know, it's like when little people come up to you and they say such enduring things to you, how do you feel? Well, just take that to a, an infinite level. That's how God feels when we just break out and just love him, not because of anything other than who he is. And it's just an, a wonderful exchange. If you haven't had this experience in your life, you're really missing something. And if you have had it and haven't done it for a while, then, well, you know what? It's just a reminder. Do it. Go for it. Like tomorrow morning would be a good time to start, right? <laughs> Rejoice, praise, and praise is just honor the Lord, commend the Lord. It's it's adoring Him. It just when's the last time, for example, when's the last time you said to the Lord, Lord, I love you more than anything else. God, I love you. 
That's, that's what we're talking about. Make melody. Now this, it, even if you're not a musician, because I can even do this. Have you ever tried to make up songs? It's, it's a lot of times it's a big cathod, but at least I try. <laughs> Some people really are good with putting words together and writing music and that kind of thing. But making melody, the idea here is it's satisfying. Do something that say something and doing something that's satisfying to you, but you're doing it as unto the Lord. You're you're taking the truths that are ringing in your soul, ringing in your spirit, and you're just musing on them and meditating on them and mulling it over. Uh, this is the all these things are beautiful. They're proper. It's delightful uh, to God. And this idea of making melody is with your instrument. Now, if you, I, like some of you have are good with instrumentation um in fact we encourage all the musicians you know wednesday night or sunday morning you really have to work on your craft all through the week and i maybe i know someday i'm going to try it i'm going to learn how to play the piano i told my wife this years ago and i'm going to do it i'm just not sure when (laughs) i'm going to get to it but i am going to do it i'm going to learn an instrument and if you have already know that, bless, you're blessed. You can take that instrument, whether you think you're skilled or not, doesn't matter. God's looking upon the heart. You work on your craft. You know, what do you think David was doing out there herding the sheep when he would sit down? He was honing his craft. And that's why he became so skilled. You realize he was actually not only the king, but he was the head worship leader of the nation. He divided... The, the Levites into three groups. And he's the one that organized the worship. Now he probably had inspiration uh, from in doing so. But they would take their turns and their shifts. And so David was intimately involved uh, in the worship of Yahweh as king. And he could do that because he'd learned to play skillfully. He had a heart for, for worship. And I think that's really why David has this little, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, attached to him, a man after God's own heart. He just loved to worship. I think it's all intimately tied and directly tied to that. But, and literally, and this is why this playing skillfully can apply to all of us, whether we play an, an instrument or not. It means to make merry. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Play skillfully means make merry. You know, so all you old rockers, <laughs> I know there's a couple here, <laughs> you can get with it. And if you don't, and you're like me, well, we need to learn to play. And that's verses 1 through 3. Uh, verse 4 through 6, or actually 4 and 4, yeah, they're all together here. For the word of the Lord is right. I want you to keep that phrase in mind, the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord is right, verse 4, and his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord so we have an exhortation in verses 1 through 3 to worship the Lord now we're given 4 through 15 reasons to worship so you need a reason to do this okay we'll give you the the psalmist gives us a few reasons one is that his counsel or his commands the word are wise they're loving and they're good and 
God's ways are without defect. Isn't that an interesting thought? There's no way that God could do anything wrong. There's no way that he will ever lead you astray. He would never give you bad counsel. There's nothing ill to be found in, in the ways of the Lord. His word is right. I love it. His work is done in faithfulness. Now it says his work is done in truth, but the idea is faithfulness. Um, this is God's works are the way that he demonstrates his character. So when you look at creation, and I know it's in its fallen state, and we know this, but when we look at it at a, at a, a, a micro level, it, it'll blow your mind. But then if you go to the macro level, that's equally mind-blowing. But these works, these intricate, detailed, never-miss-the-mark works are extraordinary. And they demonstrate his character. And God is faithful. God is dependable. Now, how many of us think that sometimes God lets us down? Well, that's not true. It's only my perception. Now, wait, you know, because the story's not over. We might think it's over, so therefore God's let me down. No, it's never over until it's over, regardless of the fat lady singing or not, right? <laughs> and excuse me for any obese people here. No, <laughs> there's none here. He is dependable, and he loves, according to what we're reading here, he loves righteousness. He delights in what's good. He delights in what's right. <laughs> How does God express that? How does he express his goodness? By taking care of us. He takes care of all creation. He brings food for the young lion. There isn't anything that he isn't aware of. He says he knows when a sparrow falls to the earth. You know, every bit of his creation is taken care of. These are, just looking at creation itself uh, should be reason enough. I mean, on your way here, if you left home before the sun completely was down, incredibly gorgeous sunset this evening. And that happens regularly. God's creation is beautiful. And it does cause us to just, Wow. You know, it's amazing, you know, with the with the, the new uh televisions and even your phone or your iPads, the the pixels, the the photos that you can view now. I mean, it's the of the canyons, you know, the sunsets. I mean, take your picture, wildlife, the forest, the flowers, I mean the vivid. You don't have to travel the world. You can just click, 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 click and if it doesn't put you in awe of God, I mean, think about his creation. It's just an incredible expression of his wisdom, his brilliance. Yeah, that'll cause you to worship, or it should. Verses 6 through 9, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Now, creation, obviously, as I said, expresses his power and his brilliance. And, and so from that we conclude there's nobody more powerful and there's nobody wiser than God. This is, again, confirmed by what we see. And even this in its fallen state is marvelous. Can I begin to imagine 
what creation was like shortly after it was done. And the garden, being in the Garden of Eden is just it's beyond words. But the phrase I want to point out here, and we'll spend the rest of our time here, because this is something that you need to have in your theological mind as you defend the faith. You know, Jesus was not a created being. Jesus has always existed. He is the physical Yahweh in the Old Testament. He is the second person of the Trinity. And it's important that we be able to identify him in the Old Testament. If, you're, if you have Jewish friends, or uh, especially in that area, you can show them, because they don't receive the New Testament, but if you'll show them who Jesus is from the Old Testament, uh, it, it's a great way to witness. Um, because uh, there's a blindness there. But where do you think uh, the Apostle John got this word of the Lord, uh, the word was made flesh? Do you think he just sort of made this up on his own? You know, this is, uh, turn with me, if you're not familiar, let's familiarize ourselves with that. First John, or John, the Gospel of John, <laughs> chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not comprehend it. And then, of course, verse 14, which we're familiar with. The word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory the glory of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's a lot to unpack here. We won't be able to do all of that tonight, but I just, some of you are familiar with these things, and some of you may not be, but these are important truths to, to grasp. It was always God's intention. There needs to be this overarching paradigm and uh biblical worldview that the scripture teaches is that it was always God's in God's mind and heart to create man and to share in the rulership of the earth that's what was happening there in the garden as he would come down he gave man dominion and he was to rule it wasn't that God was going to stay up in heaven and then man you just take care of this now how do we know that because we realize that when it's all uh, said and done, Jesus is the one who inherits the earth, isn't he? And then he allows us to share with him what? And according to Revelation, we are going to rule and reign over the nation. You know, so it's, it's we're, and actually, we've become his brothers and sisters. He's kin to us. He, be, God, it was always his intention to incarnate. And he's made us, as it says, lower than the angels, Made him lower than the angels, but we were made lower than the angels. But when we're glorified, they were not, Adam was not yet glorified, but that was God's original intention. How do we know that? Because that's what's going to happen. We're going to judge angels. We're, we're made lower, but at some point in time, we're going to, God, in, in God's plan, and being in his family of human beings, we will be his bride, share in the inheritance, and as Paul said, and also the writer of Hebrews picked up on, we will judge angels. It's, don't ask me to explain all that. I don't know, but that's what the Bible says. But that's a little bit off of our subject here. The Word. 
where do we see, you know, it's here. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Isn't that what John picked up on? That's, isn't that what he sort of was hinting to? Uh, we see verse 4, the word of the Lord is right. So where do we see this word figure in the Old Testament? Well, turn with me to Genesis 15, chapter 1, or chapter, verse 1. Genesis 15, and verse 1. And some of you, if you're scratching your heads, like, okay, all right. Well, I want you to take these down. I want you to read through these scriptures. Read carefully. Verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Now, the word vision there means visible. So this was a physical appearance of Jesus Christ, theologians call it a theophany, uh, an Old Testament appearance before Christ was incarnated that he came uh, and visited with Abraham. Now Abraham wasn't flipping out like, wow, who are you? This wasn't the first time that the Lord appeared to Abraham. How do I know that? Because that's what Stephen tells us in chapter seven of Acts, as he's giving his testimony right before he was stoned. It says in verse two, Acts seven, two, that while he was still in Mesopotamia, (coughs) the Lord appeared to him. Yahweh appeared to him. And so we, this, we see this angel of the Lord, this were the Lord person appearing throughout the Old Testament. And this is something that those who were called by God for special uh, missions, Abraham being one, the patriarchs had visitations, Jacob had one. And I'll show you another scripture about that to help us with the identity there. He appeared to Moses there at the burning bush. Fact is, if you read through that passage there in chapter 3, you're going to see that there's two people talking, two Yahwehs. Two persons of the Godhead. One's in the burning bush, and then the other one seems to be standing there. But if you, you, it's like, wait, who's the, you know, you follow the antecedents, and you'll pick up on what I'm talking about there. But uh, to confirm this Old Testament way of the Lord revealing himself, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that we uh, see this angel of the Lord appearing in Judges 2 at all. Because Yahweh speaking the voice, the, the unseen invisible one speaking to Moses tells him that, look, and this is Exodus 23, I'm going to send my angel before you. And he's going to go before you and lead you. Now you be careful because he won't forgive you. He'll, you know, he's going to whack you if you get out of line. Let's just put it in our terms. And so there was to be this, this, uh, this is sort of off the path a little bit, but one of the laws, and of course the law was given uh, to, uh, for several different reasons, but one of them was to teach the children of Israel what was clean and unclean, what was holy 
and unholy, what was acceptable and not acceptable to God. And there were a lot of rules and regulations, statutes that were put forth, both civil and ceremonial. One of the things that when it come to sanitary things was that they were supposed to cover that which come from them. Why? Well, because that's the gentlemanly thing to do because you wouldn't want Yahweh walking through the camp which he said he would do and stepping on something that he shouldn't be stepping on. Now that's putting it on the lower level, but that's the idea here. They knew, and he was there regularly. He was in the tent of meeting with Moses. As a man speaks to a friend face to face, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, and he gave him the scriptures. He dictated it to him, write this down. And so we see this constant appearance of this person. Well, and it kind of ran its course through their history. And we get to... um, and I'm still not there. <laughs> Judges uh, chapter 2. And it, what does it tell us? It says that the angel, this is, should be in verse 2, of the Lord came up from Bochim. Verse 1. I led you f- up from Egypt and brought you to the land, which I swore to your fathers and said, I'll never break my covenant with you. We know that, who this is, right? We know this is Yahweh. This is the Lord who, made, who brought them up out of Egypt. We know that this is uh, the one who made the covenant with them. So he's a visible person that he's having an encounter with these people. And then he, he he's, gets on them. Verse 2, I said, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I will not drive them out from before you. They shall be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. And the angel of the Lord spoke these words, and all the children of Israel wept and lifted up their voices. That's why they called the place Bochim. And they sacrificed to the Lord there. And so from that point on, and we'll see in Judges, if you're paying attention, he doesn't completely leave, but he's not there in a presence as he had been. It's more hit and miss, if you will. He appeared to, you know, Gideon. He appeared to, to others throughout, you know, along the way uh, when they had special missions. And so uh, let's, let's go back to Genesis 48. And so let's, uh, again, as we confirm this word and this angel of the Lord as being one and the same. In Genesis 48... Jacob is on his deathbed and he's standing before his son Joseph and he's ready to pronounce blessing upon them and this is beginning in verse 3 he says Jacob said to Joseph God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me behold I'll make you fruitful and multiply you I will make you a multitude of the people and give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possessions. And then he claims Ephraim and Manasseh has his own. And then we go up, go on down to verse 15. It says there that he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them. 
in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he's putting the angel on the same level as God Almighty. I think it would be fair for me. Are there any questions? <laughs> and it's pretty substantial. And it's exciting to me when you start seeing that God's intention from the very beginning was to obviously fix the problem that happened in the garden. And that it has never changed just because there was a fall and there was a failure. The second Adam would come and he would not fail as the first Adam did. And it is because Jesus died to provide forgiveness and then he rose again to triumph over all the darkness and to fulfill what had been promised and to keep the covenant. He can now, as it were, take us as his own. To those who believe in him, on his name, to them he became, they gave the right, the authority to become the sons of God. And do you understand what it means to be a son of God? It means you are part of the royal family. And that means you're going to inherit the earth along with Jesus Christ. And you're going to rule and reign. This is God's intention with your life and my life. And I know it's just awful hard to swallow all that in one night, isn't it? <laughs> the promises and the blessing. So, you know, we, we, just, we get so caught up in this 24-7, 365 environment that we need to sometimes just pull back and where are you going with all this, God? I'm going here. I've got an eternal perspective on your life and an eternal plan on your life. It's not about the here and now. We're just, unfortunately, we're rather impatient. Again, I'm reminded of the pastor who was in such a rush. He was so anxious. He's pacing back and forth. <laughs> and... One of his friends says, why are, you why are you in such a hurry? What is, why are you in so impatient? Well, because I am in a hurry, but God is not. And that's the way we are about life. We are in such a rush to get, where, where are we going? <laughs> I have to tell myself this. Why am I in such a hurry? Where do I think I'm going? Can I add one you know, cubit to my stature? No. That's why I'm still 5'7", five, 5'6". Five, I'm shrinking. <laughs> but it's, we, we, we get anxious about our lives. We're anxious about this and about that. And God wants us to just rest. His plan hasn't changed. He had this plan in mind before you ever came along, before <laughs> I ever came along. And, he, and it's from one generation to the next. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. In the meantime, his our job is still the same. We're to image God. We're to carry out our mission, whatever God has called us to, and fulfill uh, that purpose. And we're in a bit. We're that's really part of the mystery. What is it, God, that you'd have me to do? How is it that you'd have me to live? Where do you want me to go? And I think it's a day by day thing of just praying and just asking. Uh, God to guide us, asking God to direct us. But seriously, are there any questions? Did I lose anybody here in this? Are you all like got this down pat and you already knew this, right? Well, my question is just, I know, I'm sorry if this is 
pointed this all out is the word of the Lord, is the angel of the Lord, is Jesus, is everything, you know, that God intended. The word of the Lord is um, true. Is that, is that? Yes. That's and the I, focus, right? The word of the Lord yeah. is. He's the creator. Is right. Okay. And he's the creator. And he, you know, it, it was only God that could fix the problem of the fall. And he became what we, I know, he became what we are so we could become what he is. And that's two, and two, that's true in two different levels. It's true in the sense that he became the sin sacrifice. So that, you know, he became what we are. We're sinful in this sense. He became the sin sacrifice that we could become what he is. What is he? He's absolutely pure and righteous. But he he became a man so that we could, and, and, and he's the divine one, so he could glorify us. So, it's, it's, so he became what we are so we could become what he is. And that is live in a glorified state in eternity with him ruling. And I don't know if I fully grasp what all that means. But I think God's just getting started with his creative genius. I mean, eternity's just got kicked off here as far as we're concerned, right? Oh, yeah, I believe that. Yes, I. In fact, I I do that all the time. I just if you know, so, yeah. make that little flip. Mm-hmm. I think you're free to do I that. Mean, I feel that way about my Bible. I do. I feel like, in one sense, like the word of the Lord. This, you know, what, is a, it's the only thing. It really is. When the the writer of Hebrews said, "I come in the volume of the book," it is written of me. I mean, you know, you start, you know. Seeing once your eyes are kind of open to it, you sort of like, oh, okay. Um, and we can see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as well, being the creator. So, you know, who can understand? The way I sort of settle it in my mind is you have the voice, you have the invisible father that we no one can see or has seen. But then God, in order to become, as it were, tangible with his creation... He takes on flesh, obviously an angelic appearance, or even as a man in the Old Testament. And then eventually he was incarnated, in which he's never going to change. God is, he's going to, Jesus will always be a man. And that is just mind-blowing to me. Why would you do that? (laughs) I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. Is what? Always existed. Yes. What is the explanation for the the introduction or the description of as a begotten son with the with the word begotten having a sense of uh, there's a beginning to him? Well, that's the, it's monogenes, and and that doesn't mean created. It, it's unique one and only one is the idea so to become to say Jesus was the only begotten the connotation should be taken there's no one else like the God man not created but there's no one else like him he's unique and different does not mean like um, but you could use that more that 
Well, that's the problem with it. English doesn't con- con- convey it. Like, okay, there's another word, firstborn. Um, how is it that God refers to Isaac as the, the uh, Abraham's firstborn? Was he Abraham's firstborn? So it's the idea of preeminence. So this is the context. Uh, you know, the, the words that we, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew, you can't always come through. You know, it, they have different shades. And also, let's talk about words for a minute. Um, this is a little heady, but like, for example, the word um, nakash, and that's the serpent in the in the chapter 3 of Genesis. So he, there's three different meanings of that. They call it a triple entendre. And so you can have uh, the shining one, which was a divine being, an, ange- an angelic being. So she, you know, she found no issue with talking to this divine being. I mean, she wasn't, it wasn't the snake swithering up to her like, you know, with the tongue, you know, the forked tongue coming out, you know. You know, we, that is, in some places, it is um, a, that kind of a serpent. It is a dragon. I mean, the connotation in Revelation. So you have different usages and context sort of helps you sort that out. So you, um, let's, let's take another one that's a little more common. Most of us have heard this one, Elohim. Well, so when I say Elohim, what comes to your mind? God. And so when you see G-O-D, capital G-O-D, and you look in your little, you know, Strong's Concordance, and you see, well, it's Elohim. And, you know, you get that little thing on the end there, that's plural, the Trinity, right? <laughs> okay, well, what does Elohim mean? What's how, you know, what, what is the, the base of that word? Well, it's, it's spirit being. God is Elohim because God is a spirit. Well, what's Bene Elohim? That's sons of God, Bene, sons, sons of God. But that's this is lowercase e, okay? So all the angels are Elohim. Um, how about... Uh, no, not just a little different. But the departed dead... <laughs> In that context, the story of Samuel, when he comes, you know, he's read, you know, the the witch of Endor brings him back or whatever. <laughs> That's debatable, right? Um, he, the departed's dead are referred to as Elohim. So we get all wrapped around the axle. Oh, well, that's, that's God. Well, really? So all spirit beings are Elohim, but not all spirit beings are Yahweh. There's only one Yahweh. He is the, you know, let's just uppercase Elohim. And that, so that's, again, that's sort of why you have to be careful with words. Just because it means this here doesn't necessarily mean here. There's, there's um, versatility in the word usage. And so, you know, I try to avoid, I've learned the more I study, the less dogmatic I get about certain things. Because you know, I really realize I don't know if I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, and of course there's certain things you are sure about, but I, you know, but there's other things. There's no need to be dogmatic about it and let people have their opinions. 
but it's it's fun. You know, it's a fun it's fun to 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 search words out, and I love words, and I think they're fun. Yeah. Well, this is what makes, and and this is what makes your Bible study fun because you're able to track the threads through the whole Scripture, and then when you can tie things together, it's like oh, oh, and then it's yeah, and then it's joy. Oh. <laughs> this is that of course we have why would he do that well because he wanted free agents with free moral agency so we could choose and that can that's a risk involved <laughs> obviously God thought the risk was worth taking but he 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 cannot be outsmarted and outwitted and that's part of the problem for us is we forget about the unseen realm we forget about this little cosmic chess match that's that's gone on for well thousands of years from our understanding between God and and the enemy um, the adversary Satan that's what that means the adversary and there are a lot more than just him that are adversarial and we forget you know we have the fallen angels but then we have a host of demonic forces that are separate from the fallen angels I mean they are a horde that have nothing but malevolent attitudes towards us and want nothing but to destroy us. And I'm telling you, I don't think about that very much because my mind's elsewhere. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I don't know if that's really good. Like, you know, there's a demon here. and You know, I don't think that's probably very healthy. But I don't think we should forget about it. There's a war going on. 
And and I get lied to regularly. You know, he will, you know, who, what do you, what's this accuser of the brethren stuff here? You have to, you, you know, it's like he's always lying about God to me. Well, you know, this didn't happen in your life, so really, you truly think God, yeah. You know, and you start like, he tries to get you to doubt. So I think we easily can just discount a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, to go along with what, you know, Bobby's saying, and it sounds funny to say it out loud, but, you know, without sin, we won't, we wouldn't know the character and the depths of God's mercy mm. and love and grace, forgiveness, all those things that are the, the core and the depths of his character. We never would have experienced if we lived in Eden for the rest of our lives, you know, that's, and I think that's something to, you know, I always say like, you know, whatever, no matter what the enemy tries to do, God always wins. Even, ah, I caused you a sin, ah, but God brought forgiveness and he won. You know, like, it's always like, ah, you know, whatever card game you want to be. Nope, you rummy, you know. No. Trump, yeah. boom. Yeah. yeah, who knows? So, you know, like I, I think that's the blessing of it, you know. Yeah. You look at that, we that's good. look at the negative, say no, but, and I think that's the importance too, is, you know, talking about the words is, you know, it's, it's so much, you get so much more depth when you try to look at the original language. There's so many apps out there or whatever kind of materials, but, mm-hmm. you know, the classic example is love. We just have one word where, you know, eros, phileo, agape. Mm-hmm. I mean, the depths of those words just, you know, it, it brings so much more to it. But mm-hmm. um, I, I just think it's amazing. It's awesome how, you know, the Lord, mm-hmm. anytime the enemy's trying to remind me of the garbage in the, yeah. in the dust, I remind him how the Lord turned it to gold. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and God isn't, no matter how many times we might fail, it doesn't change God's eternal plan that he has for you. It, that's not going to change it. He's already made you, created you for a specific destiny, and it, and you have the choice in your life to fulfill that or not. And so it isn't fate, it's choice. And God's able to, no matter what happens in our life, Make it happen. How many, you know, he's trumped, like you were saying, he's trumped every issue that's come along to make his plan happen. No no weapon formed against you can prosper. Isn't that wonderful? I love it. No, not even close. None of that. You know, and here's the thing, even the the angels that kept their first estate, that haven't fallen, they don't know God's plan completely. It's a mystery to them. They're watching this whole, that's what Peter's talking about, which things the angels desire to look into. They, they've just now catching on, <laughs> wow, he's going to glorify the humans? What? They're part, his bride? Oh, what? I mean, it's all coming like, wow. And and the enemy doesn't know the plan. So, I mean, it's a pretty crazy story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about that concept as you're talking about it. And, uh, and, and there's a spatialness to things, too. And that an angel can't be all over anywhere. Like, one angel mm-hmm. has to be in one. You know what I mean? And as, as with 
They're limited. Yeah, they're limited. And the fact that they can actually join us in this church <laughs> to praise, you know, that, and, you know, talk, the scripture talks about that. It, isn't that just, doesn't that kind of blow your mind? And I think, oh, what an honor. But, you know, and not only that, you know, they're praising with us, but and, but the enemy can't, too. You know what I mean? Like, there's spaces, they can't, I don't, I'm, I'm convinced they can't come in here. You know, mm-hmm. like, the, the enemy is not allowed in here. And, um, well, me, okay, hold on, uh, hold on, okay. okay. I, I, I'm just saying, yeah. there were demon-possessed people in the synagogues where Jesus went. But I, that doesn't necessarily mean this place. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, you don't know what, oh, who comes through those doors on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're, oh, I'm pretty sure we're okay tonight, but. <laughs> the Lord has shown us that this place. Yes, uh, Yeah. There's going to be, okay, yeah. if something like that does happen, I think it's going to manifest. I don't think they can, you know, they can't handle that. The blood of Jesus, I mean, I've watched that in my own experience. And when Jesus, the name, the name, I'm, yeah, they can't handle it. The old time were necessarily spirit-filled either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do think there's a difference between, like, not every church is the same. I, I don't believe that either. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I just think it's we're when you're spirit filled and you're walking with the Lord and you're full of things, you, you're just made aware. The Spirit makes you aware what of whether what's going on and and what you need to be aware of, and that's why it's so important to be filled every moment. <laughs> so anyway, we could yeah. save your questions. We'll spend some time in prayer. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for your Word and for who you are. You you're worthy. To be worshipped, Lord. And we desire to, to do that with our lives. And as we do so, Lord, may you transform us. May you heal our spirits, our bodies, our souls. Lord, we're injured by sin. We're injured by the curse and the aging of our bodies. And we need restoration and healing. Lord, I want to pray for that tonight. I want to pray you touch each one of us, Lord, we're all dying a little bit each day. And some of us who are older, a little more so than the younger ones here. But Lord, please, there's sick people in our midst. There's sick people in our church, Lord. And Father, we just ask that you would extend mercy and bring healing physically to our bodies. Because we worship you. We worship the true and living God. And in doing so, Lord, we pray your love would be expressed in touching our bodies, Lord. Bless our evening, bless our prayer time, and go before us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.